This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 7th of December. And not in Australia but elsewhere in the world, Norman, the moment that we've really all been waiting for all year since this virus escaped China and has infected the world, mass vaccinations have started to begin in some countries around the world, which is an incredible milestone. It's happened really fast though, hasn't it? What do we know about what we do and don't know about these vaccinations so far. The Russian one's been approved and the Sinovac, the Chinese vaccine, I think has also had emergency approval and is rolling out to large numbers of people and had been for a while. So the Sinovac vaccine is a killed virus, an inactivated coronavirus. There are some worries about inactivated, inactivated coronaviruses because the worry is that this overreactive immune response that they got in SARS may be when you actually give too much of the coronavirus in the vaccine, which is why they, it's just theoretical. It's why they think that the spike protein vaccines may be safer because they're not getting as broad an immune response and therefore risking this overreaction. And so you're just not sure with the Chinese vaccine that it's entirely safe and it's not been subjected yet to a proper trial that you can evaluate. The Russian vaccine, I feel sorry actually for the developers of the Russian vaccine. The Russian vaccine could be quite a good vaccine. It's similar in a way to the uh, Oxford vaccine, which is that they use an adenovirus to carry the vaccine into the cell. In other words, the vaccine message for the spike protein into the cell. And they use two different viruses, one for the first dose, one for the second dose, to avoid antibodies generating, generated to the carrier virus. And so that could work quite well. But again, not with an adequate trial. So we're just really not sure about whether it works properly and whether it's entirely safe. So they brought it out too quickly. Would you say they're rushing it out? Uh, yeah, okay, fine, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. That's what they would say is a dad joke but from a mum. But a good try. And then you've got the Pfizer vaccine and there'll be others like Astra and once the Astra gets its doses sorted out and the Moderna vaccines, they will come out quite quickly. But they have been subjected to proper trials and the regulators can look at all the data. But here's the thing. This is not approval for emergency use. This is emergency approval. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that they've rushed through an approval without looking at all the data. Whereas we, for example, in Australia, will be looking at all the data and kicking the tires properly. So the, so the manufacturers, when they submit, or it's called a sponsor, these applications to regulators, give truckloads of data. It's the raw data from the trials. It doesn't actually matter whether or not the trial's been published. It's that they, give, that they get a chance to look at the raw data. Emergency approval means that they've looked at it, they've taken a fairly good look at safety to make sure there's nothing big has happened. They have a quick check, in a sense, on the effectiveness and then they say look our situation is so dire here in Britain so dire here in America we're going to approve it it's interesting that the FDA is taking longer than the British took and they're obviously taking a bit more care over the approval like you said the imperative in the states and in the UK and parts of Europe is really high because of the high numbers of cases there and the number of the scale of the problem in terms of the impact on the hospital system and the number of deaths. But this has a silver lining for Australia, like we've said before. We get to watch this and see what and what does and doesn't work. Yes, because if there are rare side effects, you think, well, one in, in 33,000 is a rare side effect. That's the number of people in these trials. 
but there could be a one in a million side effect that's quite serious. And you're only going to find that out when you've immunized a million or so people. And that's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be rolling it out to large numbers of people, hopefully monitoring it well. Funnily enough, I think they'll probably monitor it a bit better in America than here, but we'll see, than in Britain, but we'll, we'll see. I just don't have very much confidence in the British anymore because of the way they've handled this outbreak from the start. But that'll be pretty important to find out. And also, I, I, don't, I don't expect anything major to emerge safety-wise. It could, but you don't know. I think that also we'll learn a lot about how to uh, roll it out and how not to roll it out in terms of cold chains and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of advantages, advantages for us to just sit back and watch when we've got effectively no new cases in Australia apart from hotel quarantine. You sort of alluded a couple of times there, Norman, to the British system maybe not being as robust as the US system. How does Australia's regulatory process compare They've all got the same regulatory process. They look at the same data. They have the same criteria. You might say, well, why don't they share that? And why don't we accept the American approval? Well, the sovereignty is important. Retaining the skills for regulation is important. And sometimes we do make different decisions based on the on the data. So um, I think it's a good thing that we have that separate approval system. But they, they all do it in the same kind of way. So Australia's approach has been really different to overseas. And one of the things that we've been really tough on is international arrivals, but there's been a bit of a escape from um, an international flight with two German nationals on it that managed they managed to get from Sydney to Melbourne on a domestic flight when they really shouldn't have been able to. Don't we have checks and balances in place to stop this? Well, we, we were supposed to have checks and balances. Mind you, we were supposed to have checks and balances when the Ruby Princess docked, but uh, you know that didn't work. And already now we've got the blame game starting where Border Force is saying, well, you know, our, our responsibility finishes at a certain point at the airport and then local authorities take over. I mean, I, I really do think that Border Force has got to take a bit more responsibility here for this sort of thing. And the blame game doesn't work. It's, it's a system that's failed and you've just got to find out why it's failed who might have been involved, what systems broke down so it doesn't happen again, rather than just getting too excited about it. Well, I mean, the good thing is that we are going well in Australia. Victoria is now easing restrictions that have been so tough for months and months now, and New South Wales hasn't seen any new cases yet from the little blip that happened out of hotel quarantine last week. Yep, so we're going well, and we seem to be able to manage these um, these errors in the system, um, failures of the system without things going pear-shaped, which is great. It means that we've got strong systems. So one of the things we were talking about in light of this last week is that things are getting a bit more back to normal in Australia, but there are some things that we've learnt this year that we want to continue to do in the future because we've realised that there's some good practices that we've learnt. So we asked you, our audience, to send in your comments, and you have, which is fantastic. Sarah says she'll never wash her hands again without silently counting to 20, and she won't forget the memory of listening to Norman's soothing voice as she puts her toddlers to bed. You've made bedtime the highlight of her evening, Norman. Oh, Sarah, it's very nice of you to say that. We've also heard a few people um, like Glenn and Ruth sort of saying that staying at home when you're not feeling well, that sneezing cough etiquette, better just hygiene and then not getting colds and other illnesses has been a real plus for them and they're going to continue to do that into the future. Yeah, and Ruth talks about um, you know, continuing to wash her hands more often, not touching surfaces and not shaking hands. She's enjoyed not getting colds because she belongs to an atopic family, meaning people have got asthma and hay fever and so on, so which you know are made worse when you get a cold. And Jess, who lives in Melbourne, home of, well, one of Australia's many homes of excellent cuisine, has said she's going to do more home cooking. She's realised she's actually a really good cook and um, doesn't have to eat out as much as she used to. Yeah. 
And I'll offer one just for myself at the moment is I've kind of lost the travel bug in some shape or form. I'm, I totally feel that as well. Yeah. I've learned to appreciate home. Well, you say that, Norman, but I keep hearing you talk about Rotnest Rot Island, so it can't be gone completely. Oh, yeah, but that's still on the plate. You know, that's still, some, as one of my former colleagues used to say in the ABC Science Unit, did you get off, have you ever been off the plate? And he and I, it was actually the late Peter Hunt, who was a great environmental reporter. And um, I remember he and I went to a conference in America and it was first, he was, he was a geologist. He was saying it was his first time off the plate. The continental plate. <laughs> the continental plate, that's right. Um, so I'm still on the plate when I'm going to Rotnest. I think I am. No doubt our clever audience will tell me if we're not. Well, on travel, we've actually got a question from Amber about that saying, Norman, you say you're comfortable enough to return to the gym. What about domestic flights? Is it safe to get back on a plane? Her best friend's 40th involves a flight from Sydney to Ballina, and she's not sure how she feels about spending an hour or so on a sealed plane, let alone the airports. Well, I think the first thing you should do, Amber, is stand up and uh, make an announcement to the plane, ask them whether or not there's anybody fresh off a plane from Germany, and if there's not, <laughs> then I'd sit down. If you're really worried, then uh, wear a mask. It does protect you to some extent. We've already told you ad nauseum what to do when you go to the toilet. But look, I'm, I'm going on a flight in uh, January, uh, which is about an hour and a half long, uh, and um, I'm going to do that. But like the gym, flying on a plane soon drops off the priority list if uh, the virus comes back. Absolutely. Well, that's almost all we've got time for on Coronacast today. But before we go, tune in tomorrow where we're going to have a virologist on to talk about the difference between infection and disease, which has been a real thorny one for a lot of you. So if you've got questions about that, send them in abc.net.au slash Coronacast. Click on Ask Us Your Questions and mention Coronacast in your comment so that we can find it. And we will transmit to you tomorrow. Yes, we will. 